Faith family and to all of our friends who are joining us from different parts of the world uh, and in the comfort of your rooms, we welcome you this morning to New Life Church. I am Gareth, I am the senior pastor of New Life Church and um, we are still um, broadcasting over live streaming our services on a Friday and we would love to see you on a Thursday. We have Bible studies on a Thursday night in Abu Dhabi. So if you're here, we would love to see you during that time. Over the last few months, we have been studying the book of Acts together on Fridays. And last week, we looked at the first part of chapter 6. And in those verses, we saw how the apostles delegated a practical, logistical aspect of ministering in the church to seven men. And these seven men serve as the prototype deacon ministry in the local church which we have today. Well, Luke, the inspired author of the book of Acts, gives us the names of these seven men who were called to this responsibility. And here's something amazing about the selection of these men. Um, there were at this point over 20,000 members of the Jerusalem church. 10,000 or more of those were probably men. And from these 10,000 men, they chose just seven. And that's fascinating to me that these men are the, the cream of the, the crop. They are the top of the class, the best of the, the best, the, the pick of the litter, so to say. And the first man mentioned among these seven men was Stephen. And today we are going to learn about this amazing man and really his courage and his commitment and his passion for the gospel. So I hope you are blessed by this and that you would take notes. Let's read together in Acts chapter 6. We are going to read from verse 8 to verse 15. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians and of the Alexandrians and of those from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes. And they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place. And will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Please pray with me quickly as we ask the Lord's blessings to his word. Dear Lord, we thank you for again your inspired word. And we ask Lord please that you would help us see past just the logistics this morning. And help us to see the very the letter of the law, the heart of the law this morning, that we would be able to apply it, that we would be able to understand it, 
and that we would be able to change and be more like your son, Jesus. So I pray for your help as I preach this passage. I pray that you would help us, Lord, to hear well. In Jesus' name, I ask. Amen. One of the blessings of being part of New Life Church is that we get to help carry each other's burdens. And most of us are dealing with different issues that are swirling about in our lives. This week, some of you have faced legal issues. Some of you have had to deal with health problems. Um, We've had folk in our church that had tests and procedures, um, emergency room visits, people with bouts of sickness, as well as joys of quarantine. But some of you have had work situations that you know are going to be waiting for you when you return on Sunday morning. Others have had relationship issues, uh, marital conflicts, misunderstandings, or even unruly children. And then there's a financial side of things. For some, this last year has been particularly painful with pay cuts and, of course, job loss. And then there's the COVID pandemic that has forever changed our lives. And if you start considering all of these things, you might say, well, under the circumstances, how could I be anything but depressed? But here's the deal, and we see this in our passage this morning. We are called to live not under the circumstances, but above the circumstances. We, taking the words from Casting Crowns, we are called to thrive, not just survive. Well, how do we do this? How do we live above these circumstances that we are facing at the moment that really seem daunting? Well, as believers in Jesus, it all comes down to trusting in the certainty of the gospel. In just a moment, we're going to study a description, a character description of Stephen and some of the the troubles that he faced, some of the accusations that were hurled against him, some of the false accusations and the slander that he had to face. And upon first looking at this text, you may be tempted to think, well, Stephen's life is really totally irrelevant to what I'm going through and what I have to deal with. I mean, you know, this passage talks about accusations of blasphemy, the customs of traditions of Moses, the the destruction of the, the temple, all ideas and concepts that seem completely foreign and completely out of touch with my life and my situation today. Well, in the front end, I'm going to ask you just to trust me this morning as we study the word together, as we look at Stephen's life, and as we look at all the different charges and the opposition that he had to deal with. And what I believe you'll discover is the same way that he was able to thrive is the same way you and I can rise above the circumstances that we face in our current day and age. My first point this morning is his calling. And we see that in verse 1 to 7. I know we looked at 1 to 7 last week, uh, but it's important to review of some of what we saw as we look at his calling here. So I'm just going to read this passage again in verse 
1. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, who will appoint, who we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. And these they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Well, here we see the first mention of Stephen's name. And I believe Stephen was called to serve because he was an example before the church back there in Jerusalem during that time. And I think his example as a servant is why he is still an example to us today. We do not know what kind of time gap really exists between the commissioning of these seven prototype deacons and the incident described in our text in chapter 8, uh, in verse 8, sorry. But perhaps Stephen had done well in his administrative job. Perhaps he had served well as a, a deacon and he was able to delegate some of his daily duties to other, other men. And of course that freed him up to preach the gospel. As we saw last week, not even the apostles really were able to, to preach and to do the work of, of a deacon. So it's not likely that Stephen carried on both ministries at the same time here in verse 8. But here we see some of his godly characters, and I want to bring that to the front this morning. I want you to observe. We see in verse 2, the Jerusalem church realized that there was a need for someone to serve tables. That's what it says. Those are the words in, in verse 2. And as we shall soon see, how we serve often determines how else we serve. In other words, the one who is faithful in that which is least is often being prepared to be faithful in that which is more. To be an effective, God-honoring servant, godly character is necessary. If we will effectively serve the Lord, then we need the character that we see here in Stephen. Firstly, we see he was faithful. If you take your notes, he was full of faith. We see in verse 5. Well, the term full of faith speaks of an overflowing container. So the picture here is of being so consumed with something that you are controlled by it. I often have to remind my children after they've been playing computer games that they not really are ninjas. Um, they become so consumed with the games that they're playing that they somehow seem to think that they are ninjas or racing car drivers or these expert marksmen. But we can become so consumed with something 
that we end up being controlled by it. Well, Stephen believed and he obeyed the word of God. He loved the scriptures and he was consumed by it. And he obeyed God. He obeyed the scriptures because he believed in him. He was confident in the, in, in the, in the God that he was serving. And this was evident to others. And his sermon in chapter 7, which we will look at next week, proves this. A man who truly trusts God can be trusted by others. And true ministry, true service to God really comes from overflow. It doesn't just start um, at 10 o'clock on a, on a Friday or whenever we meet and end at a certain time on a Thursday. It is an overflow. It is an overflow. And those who serve need to be sure that they continue to serve God. Beware of the danger of, of wanting to be dependable when you are not willing to be dependent on God. Well, we see secondly that Stephen, even though he was full of faith, he was also full of the Holy Spirit. We see that in verse 5. To be full of the, the Spirit is to live a Christ-centered life. And any believer should be full of the, the Spirit. We are commanded to be that. We see in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 to verse 23, that the evidence of the fruit of the, the Spirit is love, it is joy, it is peace, it is patience, it is kindness, it is goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This is the main evidence that we see for those who are filled with the Spirit. And these qualities are not just produced overnight by some ecstatic experience that, that you've had, but over months and, and years of walking in the Spirit, yielding to the Spirit, submitting to the, the Spirit of God. Being full of the Spirit does not imply sinless perfection. We say this over and over again. It's not about perfection. It is about direction. But to be an exemplary servant like Stephen, it does not require all these amazing deeds that people perform or that Stephen performed. But what it requires is really devotion. It requires devotion from a, a heart that is full of the Spirit of God, a life that is submitted to the, to the Spirit. We see thirdly that Stephen was full of grace. He was full of grace. We know the same thing is said about our Savior Jesus in John chapter 1 verse 14. It tells us Jesus was full of grace and truth. And Jesus was God's grace personified. With regard to Stephen, the phrase implies that he had a personal understanding and he had a personal experience of God's grace as revealed in the cross of Christ that we read about in the scriptures. A person who understands and lives God's grace as seen in the cross also becomes a person who shows grace to others. This is a mark of an exemplary servant. Well, Stephen's being full of grace means that, of course, he was a gracious man. He did not curse his persecutors, which we will see as they through stones to crush his bones, but rather he, he blessed them by praying, Lord, do not hold their sins against them. The most effective 
witnesses have a clear understanding of the gospel and a clear understanding of the grace of our Lord and Savior. And as a result, they are gracious towards others. They are not rude, they are not offensive, and they do them no harm. Well, the next thing we see in verse 8, that Stephen was full of power. There in verse 8, it talks about him being full of power. In the KJV, it says he was full of faith. Better translated is full of power. Well, this is the Greek word dunamos. Dunamos. Um, that's where we get our English word dynamite from, which means divine power that is expressed in mighty works. So Stephen was used in a, in a mighty way, in a powerful way, as if he were an apostle. And he wasn't an apostle, remember that. He was doing the work of a deacon. Well, we see God gave Stephen the ability to perform great wonders and great signs and miracles amongst the people. We see that in verse 8. So except for the 12 apostles, only Stephen, Philip, and Barnabas in the early church are reported to have performed miracles. Only three other people outside of the 12 apostles had the ability to perform these miracles. And Stephen was one of them. One commentator, he, he says it well. He says, the general description of Stephen resembles that of Jesus in Luke chapter 24. His faith enabled him to lay hold of divine grace, which in turn released the power of God in the performance of mighty deeds. I think if all of us, or if you, want to be effective, and want to be used by the Lord in a powerful way, we need to be careful of a few things. Don't make effectiveness your goal. Rather make Christ your goal. Rather be faithful to Him, as we see in the life of Peter. He wasn't choosing effectiveness, and he wasn't choosing success as his, his goal. He was rather choosing to serve in any capacity that he could. And the Lord blessed him, and he was full of the Spirit, and he was full of grace. And the result was that he was used in a very unique way by our Savior, in a very powerful way. By our Lord. But here we come to our, our text in verse 9, and we see not just his character, but we see his commitment. We see his commitment here. Here in verse 9 to 14, we have the record of the, of the conflict to which Stephen's character and his commitment led him. And I want us to read that together in verse 9. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freed men, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians and of the Alexandrians and of those from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, We have heard him speaking blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes. And they came upon him. And seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. Well, we see the conflict here that's now 
stirring. And it really was because Stephen was a man that was Christ-centered. He was a man who was Christ-driven. He was a man who was full of the, the Spirit. And we see his commitment. And despite his commitment to the Lord, despite the outstanding qualities that we've seen, his ministry provoked antagonism. His ministry provoked persecution. Notice it was in such conflict that we see more of his character in action as he continues to remain faithful, as he continues to be committed to Christ and his church, even in the face of all of this opposition. And remember, Stephen, he was a, he was a Jew from Jerusalem. He was a Hellenized Jew. He was a, a member of one of the, the Hellenized synagogues. Some say that there were more than 480 of these smaller synagogues in Jerusalem at this time. We don't know exactly. But one of them is mentioned here. And this synagogue is called the Synagogue of the Freed Men. The Freed Men. So this synagogue was made up of those who were at one time slaves, as the word implies, probably um, in, in Rome. And they had gained their, their freedom, and now they were living in Jerusalem. So we're not quite certain from the text whether there was only one synagogue or whether there were many. But Stephen had access to this synagogue as we read about. And he is faithfully preaching Christ here to the, the Jewish contingency in this synagogue. We know that this wasn't a safe place. This wasn't um, a happy place for many people. They had to keep the law. This was all about religion. Peter goes, sorry, Stephen is here now preaching about the grace of the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. This is a, a fearless and, a, and really a faithful act that we see on his part. And he's effective in this. He's effective and he is convincing and he proclaims the truth of God's word. And we see some conversions. We see in our passage that... Um, Many of the priests were converted to Christ. But with this, of course, there was concern from the Jewish community, from the, the Jewish council, the Sanhedrin. The synagogue worshippers could not debate Stephen. He was too wise. They could not refute the truth because it was truth. And the claims that Stephen had, they... They could not refute it, but they refused to submit to the truth that he was preaching. They refused to submit to it. And as a result, we see they secretly induced, the scriptures say here, they induced men to say certain false things about Stephen. The word secretly induced means instigated um, to bring men under one's control by, by suggestion or by money. So there was that aspect as well. People were being bribed under the table, given money under the table to say false things about Stephen. And these charges were deliberately emotive accusations. that They were intended to turn the, the, the Jewish population against not just Stephen, but the church which he represented. No, and remember, this the same tactic 
was used against Jesus in, in Matthew 26. So not something new, not something unique by these false priests and false um, prophets. But nonetheless, their scheme worked. Their scheme worked for, for both of them. As we will soon see, this even worked for the, the glory of God. Look at verse 12. In verse 12, we're introduced to a new element in the history of the church. It tells us that the people were now stirred up. The people were now stirred up. And the word stirred up indicates that they, that they shook the people together like an earthquake, like an earthquake does. And in short, what is happening here, the false witnesses were able to spread the, the terrible rumor that Stephen and the church was disloyal to the Jewish way of worship and life. And this, of course, resulted in, in public opinion now turning against both Stephen and the church. And it's interesting, I think, their accusations were probably not fabricated lies out of nothing, out of thin air. Rather, I think they took statements that Stephen had made, and then they ended up twisting them. They ended up twisting the words of Stephen. Remember, Stephen was simply expounding what he had been taught. He was being a faithful disciple maker. He was being a faithful follower of Christ. He was teaching the words of Christ to the people in the synagogue. He was expounding the scriptures. He had claimed that Jesus superseded Moses. And Jesus instituted now the new covenant that was better than the old covenant. And of course, they did not bother to see if what Stephen was saying was true. They didn't care. They didn't, did not bother to see if Scripture predicted such things about the Messiah in the Old Testament. They simply accused Stephen and the Christ that he proclaimed as speaking against the temple and the traditions of Moses. And when that didn't stop him, they ended up using force. We will see later on, they end up killing Stephen so that he could no longer speak. And Stephen would be eventually martyred and the world would be blessed by his commitment. This is all because of his commitment. And we'll see later on why this was such a blessing to the church. Maybe we don't understand that. Maybe that sounds like a strange statement to make. But God works in mysterious ways which we may never understand. And through Stephen's death, we know that Paul ended up getting saved. But first, the church was scattered through this persecution, which resulted in more widespread witness for the gospel in other parts of the world. We see how God used this sovereignly in his providence, in his plan. Whether the godly die young, through violent death like Stephen did. And whether the wicked live long and prosper. We don't fully understand that. This is, this is God's sovereign design. This is God's sovereign business. And our business is to be faithful to his great commission. That is our duty as believers. To be faithful with the great commission. Where the Lord has put us. And trust the results to God. And to trust the results to God. Here's my third point this morning. We see 
his countenance. We see his countenance in verse 15. As this conflict explodes, as this conflict erupts, we see Stephen being calm. Stephen did not explode with this conflict. There was no need for him to be anxious. There was no need for Stephen to be troubled because he knew he was on the side of truth. He knew where his foundation was laid upon. He knew his anchor was the Lord Jesus Christ. He knew God was on his side. And Stephen's countenance was evidence of this. Look at verse 15. It clearly says that all who sat in the council, notice there, all who sat, not some, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like that of an angel. Well, here in the New Testament, see what's happening here. Try and, try and picture this in your, in your mind's eye. While the Jews are accusing Stephen of being a, a blasphemer of Moses, what happens here? God puts a glow on his face. God puts a glow on his face. And Stephen receives the same mark of divine favor which had been granted to Moses, the very person which the Sanhedrin are saying that he is blaspheming or he is against. Can you see the irony here? I think God's sense of poetic just, justice is displayed here as he, as he honors Stephen with the same kind of, of countenance as he gave to Moses so many years back. I don't fully understand what is happening here in verse 15, and I, and I can't pretend to act like I, I know all that took place here. But I do know it came across as, as a divine presence and, and a divine approval, which the council saw. While they were damning him as a blasphemer, he had the face of an angel. Well, so what? The passage ends there. So what? How is that really helpful to me? How is that related to me? While in the middle of all of his troubles, in the middle of all these false accusations, Stephen's face begins to shine. I think it was the truth that Stephen was preaching and the truth that he was witnessing to that was the source of this, this wonder. Even though these complaints were brought against Stephen and he was facing bitter opposition, he was able to rise above this horrible circumstance and he was able to be faithful to the word that he was preaching we know that as Stephen is preaching the gospel people are becoming angry with him but we see in verse 7 that many are being saved as well even priests become obedient to the faith and as these believers begin to understand the implication of the the death of Jesus they realize that what Stephen is saying is true that the temple was only just a, a shadow of the completed work of the Messiah, Jesus. The obvious conclusion for them was, well, I don't have to offer sacrifices anymore. No more shedding of blood or of innocent animals is required anymore. And they came to realize that the temple is finished. The temple is done for. Jesus has really destroyed it. And he alone is the one and only sacrifice for our sins. The one and only high priest 
to God and the one and only habitation of the fullness of the glory of God himself. This is what Stephen was preaching. This is the truth that was transforming lives, converting people from a dead ritualistic religion to living faith in the living God. This transforming glorious truth is what Stephen is holding fast to. Let me ask you this question as we finish this morning. What do your problems and issues look like in light of this glorious truth that Stephen has expounded? You know, the constant changing COVID rules and regulations are certainly making life difficult. But you know what? Jesus destroyed the temple and in so doing, he destroyed the consequences of your sin. Maybe you just lost the, the biggest account at your company. Okay. But realize, Jesus purchased your salvation and he opened the way into the Holy of Holies. Maybe you're stuck in traffic and you're going to be late for your appointments. Yes, maybe that will happen. But the Shekinah glory of God rests on Jesus, not on a, on a place anymore. Because of what Jesus has done. And you can know and you can experience God's glory by, by not having to travel to um, Jerusalem or a pilgrimage to some temple or cathedral or, or building. You can experience it where you are. You can know the glory of God by knowing Jesus Christ. Do you see the transformational value of this truth? Of what Stephen was preaching and declaring and being a witness too. You see how insignificant all our other little problems can be when we focus on what Stephen was focusing on. What he was prepared to die for. For the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. They were damning Stephen as a blasphemer. And he had the face of an angel. May I suggest to you this morning that God is still looking for men and women like Stephen. God is still looking for men and women who are committed to the truth of the gospel. Those who behold the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ in difficult circumstances and who are willing to serve the Lord in difficult circumstances in the church where the Lord has placed him. People who are full of faith, People who are full of grace, people who are full of the Holy Spirit, people who are full of wisdom and full of power. God is still looking for people who have courage without limit, who have boldness without bounds. God will demonstrate, he will demonstrate his glory in the face of those people, perhaps not visibly, but in the calm, peaceful, tranquil almost transcendent trust that comes through in the most violent and difficult circumstances. People that are able to live their life in Christ above the difficult circumstances. People who thrive and not just survive. Well, let me finish with a story that I hope will encourage you this morning. 
years ago, the Romanian pastor, Joseph Son, he ran away from his communist country to study theology in England. And in 1972, when he was ready to go back home, he discussed his plans with his fellow students. And they pointed out that he might be arrested at the border. One student asked, Joseph, what chances do you have of successfully implementing your plans? And Joseph smiled and said to himself, well, now this is typically Western thinking. And he later wrote, chances of success, I never thought in those terms. My thinking was in terms of obedience. I knew that the king said go, and I had to say, yes, sir, and go. I love what he did here. Joseph's son, he, he turned the question around and he, he asked God, what if I ask you about success? And the Lord gave him Matthew chapter 10, verse 16. I send you a sheep in the midst of wolves. The Lord was saying to him, tell me, what chances does a sheep surrounded by wolves have of surviving five minutes, let alone of converting the wolves? The Lord was saying to Joseph, that's how I send you, totally defenseless and without any reasonable hope of success. But if you are willing to go like that, go. If you are not willing to be in that position, don't go. Well, Joseph, John ended up eventually dying to these wolves. He ended up losing his life. But not after his ministry was blessed in a remarkable way that he never ever got to saw to, to see. He invested his life in making disciples of Jesus in a communist country. And those disciples were faithful to the gospel and they were faithfully making disciples. And as Paul tells us in 2 Timothy 2 verse 2, they continued to teach others the things that they had been taught. And as a result, a fruitful ministry survived and thrived because of the work of Joseph. And that is exactly what happened to Stephen here, which we will see later on. Stephen didn't live necessarily a very long life, but he lived a very fruitful and effective life for the, the glory of God. What are you doing with your life? Is your life counting for the, the glory of God? I heard one pastor say once that he wasn't afraid of succeeding, but he was afraid of succeeding in the things that don't matter to Jesus. What are you succeeding in this morning? Are you committed to the, to the mission that God has given to all of us? Are you serving the Lord faithfully with with passion and commitment like Stephen was? Perhaps this morning, we all need to ask God to give us this godly character of Stephen so that we will all be a courageous witness for Jesus and then trust the Lord with the results. We just need to be faithful, sharing the gospel. Whether you, whether you lose your life as a, as a martyr or whether God protects you, you will be like Stephen and you will wear the victor's crown and you will hear Jesus say to you one day, well done, my good and faithful servant. Father, thank you for this very encouraging passage of scripture.
And we know it gets more and more difficult for Stephen. And it can seem more dark and more gloomy. But Lord, when we look at the bigger picture, we see how wonderfully you used his commitment to you. Thank you for his character, Lord. Thank you for his calling. And we pray, Lord, that we would display this character this week. And that we will be faithful with the calling that you have called us with, Lord. That we would be making disciples. That we would not hide this light under a bush, Father, in a box where nobody can see it. But that we will be faithful in sharing the gospel throughout our businesses, throughout our colleges, throughout our schools, throughout our neighborhoods, even in our homes. Lord, we would not be ashamed of the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, help us this week to be more like Stephen, for your glory and for our joy. We ask this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.